kind of questions which is good because yeah. it means that this content is going to be different from what <laughs> other people have heard so if people have heard other interviews with me or other podcasts it's good because they're going to hear this and hear completely different things mm. that i never speak about mm. or maybe just this at this event and that but never in this package yeah so that's good so you've managed to extract that conversation which is good it's powerful Thank and you. i noticed that with the michael hastings conversation as well yeah try it man. Like, try it. wait those are things i'll never ask him but that's really interesting i never knew that Yes, I'm not bad. Um, so before we start, this is not your everyday podcast. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. You have a lot on. You already said that you had three podcasts um, that you recorded today, um, and that's just today. So I appreciate your your time um, on my podcast. Pleasure. So just for, for those who don't know who Andy is, I'm going to do a quick summary. Um, so Andy's an entrepreneur, speaker, influencer, investor, visionary, consultant and product manager. Andy is a product leader and business builder. He, currently, he, he is currently the managing director of Backstage London, um, which invests 100k and supports women, people of colour and LGBT founders. Prior to Backstage, Andy has worked in a range of product roles in companies such as World First, which was acquired by Ant Financials for $700 million. Um, not only has he done that, he's passionate about creating pathways um, into tech and upskilling people from low-income backgrounds. He serves on the board of YSYS, Flipside and Mixtape Madness, a startup that he co-founded with his brother um, and his friends. And in 2018, Andy was named in the FT, the Financial Times, as one of the top 10 most influential Bay tech leaders in the UK. How do you feel about that, Andy? All of, all of what I said. I feel like you need to do my intros more often. Yeah, <laughs> all right, okay. Me. Um, no, it's very kind of you. Um, I think one of the things that stands out when you're just talking is that, like at the beginning, there's all these words, like he's a product manager, an investor. And, and one of the things that I've noticed along my career journey is that Sometimes people get tied down to work and to their job title mm. when you could be so much more than just your job title. And I feel like along my career journey, or similar to what Michael Hastings shared in his episode, I feel like actually there's these core skills that I'm just really good at. And it's quite generalist. Like I'm really good at building relationships and forming winning relationships, but I'm also really good at business building. Mm. And uh, a mixture of those two makes me really good at product management and problem solving. And actually that can manifest itself as a founder or as an entrepreneur within a company or as an investor, but it's still the same core skill set regardless of what job title it is. Mm. Um, so as you were introducing me, it has brought back that memory and I'd just love to share that. Yeah, no, that's great, man. It's good that you, you know yourself, you know what you're about and you've got a purpose to, to what, what you do. Uh, is there anything I missed out in that intro, like anything? Because that might be quite... Uh, not as up to date as you, you, the one that you've done. The only other important thing yeah. uh, is that I've got a beautiful daughter who's two years old, yeah, and I've correct. got a lovely fiance, and I hundred percent wouldn't be in the position I am today without without those two. Yeah, and what impact have they made on your life? 
so far. Massive. So, so my partner, for example, she would not enjoy me saying her name on screen, so okay. I won't. Um, <laughs> but um, we've been friends for over 16 years. Um, so it's quite a rare occasion where, you know, I was friend-zoned, I guess. And what people How say. many years? <laughs> what well, friends I, we were friends for, for, for years, to be exactly honest. Like, I'm using that terminology, <laughs> but we were generally friends, actually. My first real female friend. Right. Um, and... Like, you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to mack and drop some game, Trust you know, I'd say, <laughs> I'm not there anymore, though. I'd say um, things to her, like, you know, one day I'm going to marry you, right? And I thought I was joking, but clearly over the years, it became more and more of a statement that I believed. And then asking her to go out with me was quite a big deal because I felt like if it didn't work out, I no longer have this friendship mm. and I didn't want to lose this friendship. Um, but fortunately, it's worked out, and honestly, it's the best of days. I enjoy every mm. single day of her, and she en she enables me to do the work that I'm doing, and gives me that different perspective because she doesn't work in tech, she doesn't work in this industry. So sometimes tells me the common sense thing that comes hard to me because I'm so engrossed in this industry. Mm. Cool. So no, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I've got some questions here that I want to talk to you about, um, mainly around entrepreneurship, what you do, purpose. Uh, leadership. Those are the things that I want to draw out in this conversation. And sure. um, I want to move on to um, leadership and fear. So, what in terms of fears? What fears do you have that you currently deal with, um, and how do you tackle your fears? It's a great question. Um, and the reason I'm asking is because we need. To, I'm trying to create in, in my episodes uh, a sense of vulnerability, a sense of openness, and a sense of not not everything is glam and glitzy mm. um and as an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur as a father as you know a friend you have many different facets of yourself but and um, not everything always goes smoothly so in terms of your, your fears and yeah look i'm happy to be transparent and, and to share some truths um i think one one is definitely sometimes i say to myself it's a lot easier to go and get an ordinary job like it would have been a lot easier if i stayed at ernst and young nearly 10 years ago and just worked my way to partnership like there's a lot there's a lot of paths that are less resistant and more easier if i just stay the course and because i've got a family i've got a fiance and a daughter to look after and to provide for mm. like sometimes i ask myself am i being too selfish by going on these entrepreneurial journeys because first and foremost i need to cover their life style costs and be able to provide as a father to my family so sometimes i'm always playing back actually am i making the right choice for my family because this is more than me but then at the same time because it's more than me there's this whole tribe and this community that i'm serving so do, am i doing a disservice by not being in this space mm. almost like the opportunity cost of if i wasn't here who would be mm. you know and it's hard when you're called to serve and you know inside is right but at the same time it's so difficult to do so mm. you know and then that resonates. there's also always some degree of imposter syndrome Oh wow, they want me to they want to pay me to go and speak on that stage. Is that how much they're gonna pay me? Oh no, no, I don't deserve that. No, yeah, of course you do. Like, why don't I deserve that? My mm. whole lived experience has gone into today. Mm. I don't see myself with my job title. I'm I'm 31 now. You're getting 31 years of Andy packaged up in that talk. Mm. Why don't I feel like I can deliver? And to be fair, a lot of times when I do attend events and stuff, I say to myself, and I used to, like even five, six years ago. That wasn't great i could do better than that mm. and it's different when you say that wasn't great or that wasn't a good experience to that second part i can do better than that mm. if i believe that and i'm not suffering from imposter syndrome go and do better 
And if God's serving you with the opportunity to say, wait, you said you could do better. I'm giving you the opportunity to do better. You're going to go and do better? I'm going to go and do better. You know? So, like, I've got a speaking engagement in October to uh, paid opportunities. What month are we in now? August. I'm practicing from now. That's how bad I want it. That's how bad I want to go on stage and really leave a lasting impression and memory to know they got value for money and that audience got value from me being up on stage. Mm. But that's how much it means to me. It doesn't mean that much to other people. But sometimes that imposter syndrome does take over and I'm like, oh, am I worthy? Can I do this? Can I deliver that value? And I have to speak to, to people within my inner circle, such as my fiance, who then reminds me of, of what greatness is and mm. what I've achieved and what, and what else I can achieve. And actually, if I'm not living at the edge of my comfort zone, I'm never pushing myself to learn more and do more. So actually, it's good to have those people that can reinforce that and remind you of that as well. So what's the root cause of your imposter syndrome? Security. Many security. When you grow up, I think, from a low-income background, like I grew up in Tottenham, um, one of the goals in life is monitoring. It's like, I want to make money. I want to be able to feel like I'm all right, I have some wealth, and my family don't have to worry financially. Like, and growing up on hip-hop music, like, the tourist B.I.G. said, more money, more problems. And it's absolutely true. Like, there's, there's definitely a correlation with the more responsibility I've had and the more wealth I've had, actually, the more problems there were to solve. And that's part, 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 part and parcel of that, you know? And, like, even with me now, that, that imposter syndrome, at its core, is rooted in that security. I want to be able to know that I can financially provide for my family, my people, so they don't have to. Like, I don't want my daughter to go through what I went through when I was growing up. And I didn't have it that bad. Like, if I look at my cousins out in Ghana, where I originate from, a lot of them have high potential just like me. The only difference is, by no reason of myself, I didn't choose to be black, I didn't choose to be a man, and I did not choose to be born in London. But because of it, I've got high access to opportunity, and therefore my outcomes were different to theirs. That's not fair. Mm. But I'm going to take advantage of that, and I'm going to use that privilege to address that inequality that I'm aware of. And because I know that I have that responsibility to do that, even though I know the root cause of this imposter syndrome is that security and that money, I actually know that because I'm in such a privileged position, I must use my privilege to address the inequality that I'm so aware of. So why do you, why do you doubt your potential? So sometimes you feel you can do it, sometimes you feel you can't. So if we just um, focus on the times that you, you feel you can't, um, you really mentioned some reasons why. Tell, tell me why, is, why does that happen to you? Like, why do you feel, why do you doubt yourself? Why do you feel like you're not meant to be at a certain stage or you're not meant to um, perform here or there? You're not worth this value. What makes you feel that way? So, so firstly, I think it's a human experience. Mm. So I always remind myself that it's okay to feel, regardless of how you feel. It's, it's feeling is a human experience. It's something that comes unique to us as humans. Um, regardless but, of regardless regardless it ties us all together mm -hmm. we all have feelings regardless how we feel mm -hmm. um and as i've grown over the years i've become more comfortable with expressing that feeling whether that's feeling of love towards a friend towards a woman towards my partner like i'm much more open with expressing that feeling whereas growing up in in ends in tottenham as a young person, I felt like I couldn't share my feelings because it wasn't the masculine thing to do. Mm. So I had to unlearn that behavior and, and learn a new habit, you know? And I think a lot of this, this kind of like, sorry, your question was really around like, where does this, where does this feeling of fear come from? Yeah. Um, 
No, that wasn't your question. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like, why? Why do you feel that you you're not you can't reach your potential, or you feel you doubt your potential? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is to do with with um, the ambiguity. Like, it's a lot easier to do something that you've done before. Mm. You know, like if someone asks me, "Can I run?" I'll say yes because I've ran before. If someone asks me, "Can I swim?" Yes, because I've swum before. If someone asks me, "Can I fly a plane?" Like logically, people say no. I would say I don't know because I've never tried it before. I might be able to, but I've never tried it. But because of that ambiguity, there's some level of doubt in all of our minds. You know, the truth is, only you've never flown a plane. You might be able to fly one. It might be a 1% chance, but there's a small probability that you can, even though you've never flown one before. But most people say, no, I can't. And for me, like, I'm trying to move across that chasm a little bit, of being a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more mm. positive-minded, but at the same time, like, knowing Actually, sometimes you can be too optimistic and thinking things are too rosy and, yeah. and have that bias towards optimism where it actually means that you're not actually valuing what's really going on and what's actually happening. So it's always a balance and I've never got it right the same way I've never got work-life balance right, but I've been trying to put principles in place to help with me, help me with that. Like even with work-life integration or balance, like I have a, a principle called two and five where two even is a week max I'll sacrifice to do an extracurricular activities, whether that's meetings, whether that's events, whether that's me coming to do a podcast with you. I think we even went through this where I was like, look, I could only do two evenings a week and I can't do it for the next two weeks because that's it. I'm not going to compromise on my rule because the other five evenings a week, I want to spend it with my family and I don't want to compromise on that, which means every week there's a trade-off and I lose out on opportunities and events that I could be attending that I don't, but that's okay. Mm. And as long as I accept that that's okay and I can live with it, then it's fine. But it took me time to get to that space where I feel like, actually, now that I have principles to go by, I have a way of making decisions and it's a lot easier for me to make decisions rather than just going off my gut or how I'm feeling. Mm. Does that make cool. sense? Yeah, there's a number of principles actually I could share some of them with you if it helps. Okay, high, high level, briefly. Yeah, so there's like two or three I'll share. Um, one is direction over speed. So I believe like it makes a lot more sense to go in the same direct, the right direction, even if that's slowly, than to act with speed and haste and go in the wrong directions. Mm. You know, so like if I think of a train map, I live in Epping and work for me is in Bethnal Green. That could take 45 minutes on a train. Like I'm not going to get off at a random stop because I'm not getting to my stop quick enough. I'm going to wait and mm. regardless how long it stops at a station, regardless if the train breaks down, I'm going to keep waiting because I know eventually it's going to get to Bethnal Green. I think sometimes with our career decisions, we act with too much speed and haste rather than with direction. And we should just take our time and know that we're getting compound interest and compound knowledge and compound relationships and momentum. We just need to stay the course. Very good. So that's an example of one. Mm. Was there the other one or was that the main one? No, no there's, there's a, num no, there's a number. Yeah, there's a number of them. Okay, cool. Let me just... So what was the second principle that you can share to us? Um, so the second principle I can share is... Um, be willing to change in the face of evidence, okay? And that's basically saying like, um, strong opinions weakly held. Like, I'm happy to be data informed but not held ransom by data. Like, I wanna be able to make decisions, but actually, if someone tells me something contrary and brings me some facts or some evidence, I'm willing to change my opinion, mm. you know? And I think that's powerful when you're a continuous learner because that shows that you have the growth mindset. It shows that actually, I wanna seek out truth rather than being just correct or winning an argument or being right or wrong 
um, and I try and hold on to that. And a lot, uh, another quick one mm-hmm. is um, I've got a post-it note that I keep in my in my little card wallet, and on the on the post-it note, it's just a reminder that to always seek, always ask who's not in the room. Please, please, just show nice yeah. it's a, a See, orange. It says yes. it's a post-it note. It's so rusty and old because it's been in this card holder for for ages. But it says always ask who's not in the room, mm. and that always reminds me, like if I'm if I'm speaking about people and making decisions for a customer base i need to think who am i representing mm. is it people with disabilities who are not in the room is it people that are older who are not in the room is it women who are not in the room and if not how do we seek out their voices and their opinions so that we have an informed decision based on what they think and not just making a decision in our high towers by ourselves for other people who, who are not reflective of us yeah and that's similar to what i do in my day job i work in customer experience and what we try to do is design products and services that tailor to customer needs so we make sure that brands organizations companies um, are understanding the journeys the touch points the uh, what it is that customers actually want from them rather than them going off and designing what they think is what customer wants um so on on that topic always trying to remember who's outside the room um you are you're an investor you invest in businesses you're you're creative you're you're a lot of different things but if we just focus on you as an and as an investor um what are the common problems that founders or entrepreneurs come to you and say about their product or service sure so over 80 to 90 percent of founders that come to me think they want funding but really they want customers and traction so they come to me saying, oh, like, how do I raise funds for my start, my, my start, my idea? But really what they need is help on how do I actually validate this is a problem worth solving? How do I find that initial tribe of customers that I want to serve? And how do I start generating revenue and find a business model that works? Mm. But those are two different questions. And those are, there's two different approaches for each. Because the truth is you get to the funding conversation and I make one introduction for you. And that person is going to come back and say, yeah, we've got traction. And they're not going to explain how you get traction or what to do. And then you're going to say, they're going to come up with whatever reasons they have for why they can't invest at this stage. But it's up to you now to go seek out that information, that expertise and that knowledge to figure that out. And then you're left kind of in, in the world. And that's why there's a range of like products and services and that I'm working on as well as like communities that I'm in to help people just solve that problem. Like how do I democratize a lot of this information that I have access to because I have the privilege of being in these spaces. Mm. So one of the things that I did, for example, was I had a lot of people asking me that, how do you break into product management? And and you're someone that's had a few different roles before, like how have you transitioned and told that transition story from management consultant to, to co-founder, to business analyst, to product manager, to investor, mm. to, you know, and, and I did a one hour mini course and I put it out on YouTube for free. Now you can go and take that. That's how to break into product management the way I did. Mm. And you don't have to do it the way I did, but it's going to be something useful in there that's, that you're going to take away, I promise you. I'm also working on an ebook now, a workbook um, that's going to be on sale for about $9.99, which is literally go through the detail of how to transition into a career. Mm. You know, Another thing I'm working on is a mini course again on how to create MVPs with zero code. How do you create minimal viable products, your first version of your products, without knowing a line of code? And I plug you into all of the platforms you can use and exactly the kind of tests that you can use to kind of start validating your idea of audiences. So there's all these products and services that now people look to me as a voice of truth and an opinion leader within this space. I need to democratize access to this knowledge and information and I'm going to do so through these products that I'm going to wheel out over the next 12 months. 
that's exciting. I'm really um, interested to, to track your progress on that because it's something that I know that many people will, will definitely need, even me myself. What, well, I'm going to switch the, the, the gear sure. a bit now. What advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Even though it's fearful and it's scary, just do it anyway. Mm. You know, and and the second piece of advice I'll tell myself is, um, it's a game of inches, um, and those inches will compound over time. And and what I mean by that is, like sometimes it feels like you're just getting an inch by an inch, mm. and it's hard to see the bigger picture of where that can lead to. Mm. And as someone who five six years ago was blogging, and now I've written over 150 articles for a range of publications as well as just for myself. Like, it's 100% helped me get to the position I'm in. It's opened so many doors to opportunities. But at the start, I didn't know I was going to do that. And I didn't do it with that intent. I just committed to doing, like, one thing. Delivering quality consistently. Quality consistently. Quality consistently. Quality consistently. And whether that's running a community and saying to myself, I'm going to do a meetup every month for the next five years. Not many people are willing to do that. Mm. Who's willing to deliver quality uh, consistently? And... I've, I've been doing that with my content. I've been doing that with my newsletter. And a lot of the, the benefits are starting to come through from doing that. But guess what? Even if they didn't, I don't care. I'll still do it. And there's not many people that are willing to do that. But when you do find something you're willing to do that for, for usually it might be an indication that it's something that you're passionate about, interested in, or good at. And maybe you're serving your purpose. No, that was really good. What? So, so you said that you keep... Um, oh quality consistently uh, and you found your thing at the beginning which is blogs and then you kept doing blogs and it, it, it opened up the doors for other things how did you realize that blogs was your starting point it's a great question so at the time um, <laughs> I said actually there's a range of different content types and yeah. I had spoken a few times in front of audiences and got a real buzz so I knew that I was comfortable speaking on stage to audiences and I was good at it so at the time I thought, oh, I could do YouTube or podcasts, mm. but I was like, oh, I don't want to learn how to record and edit and stuff. Yeah. And at the time with podcasting, I didn't even know the route in. This is like six years ago, right? I didn't even know the route in to start podcasting. So I said, let me start blogging. I need to improve my written skills anyway, um, my written communication skills. So I started blogging. And the main reason I started blogging was because I was out in San Francisco learning all these lessons from these like leading VCs. And I wanted to make this information more accessible to my friends and ends. So I was like, how can I tell these journey, this, how can I tell, tell people what I'm learning, but make it in a way that a five-year-old or my grandma could understand because there's so much jargon in this space. So I started blogging in service, but I didn't realize that at the time. I was just doing it because of that. I like, oh, how can my friends and ends understand what I'm doing? Oh, let me write these letters to them, you know, mm. to blogs, you know? And then after time, I realized actually selfishly, this is good for me because this gives me an archive of content I can go back to to remind myself what I was learning and going through at that stage. Some which I look back and think is embarrassing now, but I'll never get to where I am today if I didn't write those. And like too often it's, it's just led to opportunities like you know, writing for Blavity, for Crunchbase, for Quartz, for, for HubSpot, for all of these publications that sifted by the FT last week. I wrote an article on, on how founders think they need funding, but really they need to learn how to, to build products. And create do product discovery like all of these opportunities that came from just that first blog mm. you know and just delivering that quality consistently backstage how i got into backstage was through the blog i was blogging and i was realizing that a lot of my blogs were at this intersection where i was talking about uh startups 
investment and culture. And I was talking about people from the US. I was talking about stories that people didn't know here, like Chimillionaire, who was a rapper and he wrote a song called uh, Riding Dirty. He was a yeah. two Grammy, I think he won two Grammy Awards. And um, at the time, I wrote a white paper at my com at the company Elixir about gamification featuring Chimillionaire and how he used a company called Big Door and used a gamification platform to create a community of loyal fans who he was rewarded and had this intimate experience with. And I was like, Chimillionaire was so advanced at that time with technology as a mm -hmm. rapper. And I was using him as a case study because I had seen him transition from that into an angel investor. And he invested in a company called Maker Studio. And Maker Studio got acquired by Disney for almost $800 million. So he made a lot of bank based off that early investment. And then he went into this space. And then there was others like Nas, who's a rapper from New York, who I loved growing up, Illmatic and Stillmatic, some of my favorite albums, especially his Dista Jay-Z on Aoife. <laughs> so I usually ask this at the end of my um, podcast to all the people that come on. So it might be a tough question, so you might want to think about your answer. You might have an answer immediately, but yeah. So how would you describe your leadership style? Um, definitely more servant leadership. So like, actually, how can I serve in order to lead by example? Mm. And, and what I mean is that like, I like to work with, with teams that are, are autonomous and want responsibility and are growth minded and want to do more. So actually, how can I lead by giving that them the opportunity and having enough rope so that there's tension, but actually I'm there to catch them if they fall, but making sure that whenever they do fall, that they're able to learn lessons and act more intelligently because of it and they're not going to keep falling at the same stumbling block because then there's an issue and mm. um, so i always try and lead through serving and allowing them to have their autonomy and responsibility but then being there to support and catch them when they fall cool that's a good 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 understanding of yourself so how do you create a high level of self-awareness about yourself and who you are i noticed that you said that you have uh, a google doc diary so to yeah. speak is that one of the ways that you talk to, to, to the podcast people on how you document your thoughts and how you go about um always keep always um being valuable to people and yeah so it's interesting when i work with companies and they have these like analytic platforms like google analytics and on those platforms they'll look at patterns so mm. you know i might have like an e-commerce shop and I look at how many people dropped off when they got to basket, okay? And then when I see that pattern, I investigate it and maybe I speak to like five or 10 customers, like why did you drop off? Oh, because we're based in the US and shipping's cost nearly as much as the product. So we thought we can't afford shipping. Okay, that's good to know. Maybe I'll cover free shipping for a month. So I've got US customers. So now that I found that problem, I can solve it. And for me, I call it my tracker. When I have this diary where I'm literally just writing down key things like I had a podcast interview with Olu today and I want to remember this memory because or, you know, um, I got engaged in February and I want to write that down and remember this memory because I can't rely on my memory alone to remember everything. I would always remember the engagement, of course. <laughs> um, but a tracker allows me to look back and recognise patterns in my behaviour and it helped me four years ago identify that there's this intersection of startups, culture and investors that I love playing in. Because mm. by looking back at that tracker and noticing that a lot of the content I was producing is in that space. So I thought, okay, now that I know that, let me optimize and double down on that. And I also recognize things that I want to reduce and eliminate, the things that I wasn't enjoying, the things that were draining and were not giving me energy. 
So I eliminated those things and I stopped doing a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. So it's been really helpful for me to almost have an accountability buddy in having this tracker keeping me accountable, mm. but also helping me to understand what to optimize and double down on versus what to reduce or eliminate. So I always try and spread the word of uh, just create a tracker because it's all good being led by curiosity, but you need to track where it's leading you to so you can connect the dots backwards and understand what happened. Exactly, like connecting the dots backwards is so important to understanding how to go forward, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so a question on leadership. Uh, where do you see leadership failing? It's a great question. I think one of the ways that I see leadership failing is that some people are not comfortable with the unknown and with what they don't know. And if you're in a leadership position where you're uncomfortable with the unknown, sometimes it restricts you from taking risks. Like what I mentioned at the start of this podcast, dedicating 5% of your revenue to taking big bets. Because you never know where the next innovation is going to come from, but if you want to survive in this market long term, I'm going to have to take some big bets. Mm. And some will pay off and some won't, but most leaders are not willing to take big bets. They're more willing to take the safety route because they feel like they've got to, into leadership and I don't want to lose that opportunity. Like, and that's one reason why I look up to uh, Jeff Bezos to some degree in this aspect, because no one can chat shit and say that when they saw that am i allowed to curse someone right. uh, when they saw on paper that he's going to build a, a bookstore for everyone they knew he was going to build a store for everyone they knew he was going to jump to aws they knew he was going to jump to echo they knew that he was going to jump to kindle no one knew that okay but he was willing to take big bets and some of those bets failed but you don't remember it but the amazon fire from 160 million dollar experiment it failed but he was willing to take a big bet Mm. and he continued to be willing to take big bets and he arrived at Echo, Echo's doing well. So you have to be willing, and I'm saying, but by big bets, he took a bet that cost 160 million. That's, that's not insignificant. Like, what bets as a leader are you willing to take? Mm. Mark Zuckerberg took a bet on Facebook Home. It didn't pay off, you know? Some of his acquisitions, Oculus Rift, you might say long-term it's got potential, it's not doing much now. Mm. Yeah, but he also took other acquisition bets with WhatsApp, with Instagram, good bets, mm. but he took big bets. What big bets are you willing to take as a leader? So how do, how do you get comfortable to take bets? So how do you convince yourself that this is the right thing to do? So now so, if we're focused on those who are entering the workforce, those who um, are students, those who are thinking about careers, yeah. career changes, entering the career, their careers, um, those people at the, that inception, how do you encourage them to put all, to focus on one particular thing or to decide on this direction? It feels like there's a number of questions I heard there, but I'm going to focus on this ability to, to keep nurturing that ability to keep to take big bets. Mm. And, and one of the things that I've always done from the beginning of my career is remind myself of the beginner's mindset. Mm. Like when I joined EY, I was coming out of university. I couldn't afford to join a startup. It's meant the world to my dad that he'd see me go through his educational journey as a first generation in this country and get into a great job for a great brand that he saw. Like, how do I continue to foster that level of hunger and remind myself where I came from? Because that's going to keep me being able to have that willingness to take big bets and take risks. But the truth is, what changes over time shouldn't be the ability to take bets. It should be about the risk profile and taking a calculated risks associated to those bets. So the nature of the bets that I take depend on my risk profile you know now i have a child and a family 
So I can take the bet, but I have to take a calculated bet. I can't just be all consuming and selfish because it's more than me. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean that I can't bet. That's the difference. Mm. Some people in my position with a family might feel like I don't want to take a bet because I want to jeopardize my family. What I see is if I take big bets, I'll do even better for my family. But it's calculated. I'm not going for broke. Some people would, and some people might win by doing that. I'm mm. not. I'm taking a calculated risk. And the more we grow into our careers, the more we have to understand like what I was touching on before. Again, it comes down to principles. Like what bets am I willing to take? What's my risk profile? Can I make those trade-off decisions? Do I understand opportunity cost? cost? Can I even calculate sometimes the cost of not taking an opportunity? Mm. Right? Because mm. right now, mm. I could be working at a Monzo or a Starling Bank or mm. a FinTech. I'm pretty confident that I could get interviews in these kind of places. I could maybe work in these places, but I'm not. Mm. It's an opportunity cost. Mm. You know, I could go back to Ghana and I could work in a tech scene in Ghana and try and like, build a tech scene there. But I'm not. My mum lives in Ghana. I've got a safety bed, I've got lower cost to a degree, I'm not doing it. You know, I could up and leave with my family completely and say, let's just start a new in Thailand. All of these are alternative paths that are 100% paths I could take. But it's an opportunity cost associated with all of those paths. Mm. And doing things like the tracker allows me to, every six months, just relook at that opportunity cost and figure mm. out what I can and can't do. And that's helped me arrive at a place where I'm creating these products and services. You know, I'm creating the ebooks, I'm creating the mini courses, I'm creating the full on courses to serve first time founders, to democratize this information. It's always been the same thing. I don't know if you're hearing these themes that are coming through. The start of the blog was to democratize access to this information and hopefully eventually access to opportunity. And now I'm doing that and I'm mm. doing that more in different types through podcasts, not only blogs, not only through podcasts, through video, not only video, not only through video, through online courses, not only that, through webinars, not only that, through, there's so many different ways mm. to do it. The truth of the matter is, I can't always be in the room. So because of that, what can I do at scale? Mm. And that's what's led me along this journey. Mm, that's fascinating. And there's so many different things that people can pick up on that. Um, what if there was one skill that got you to where you are now, what would that be? Relationships. Mm. Just walking out of a room and people feeling like, I like that guy. I could work with that guy. Mm. I had this uh, positive energy about him, a positive impression. I had this memory, you know. I remember the first job that I, I got was a placement at an interdealer brokerage called ICAP. And as well, I was at university. And I remember going into the interview saying to myself, there's two questions they're guaranteed going to ask. One is at the end of the interview, they're going to say, do you have any questions for me? So I'm going to make sure they're bloody good, the mm. questions that I ask. And the first question is, tell me about yourself. So I'm going to nail that. And for tell me about yourself, I used to go into the room and say, um, hi, I'm Andy Ayim. And um, I grew up in Tottenham, which is actually part of Harringay, which is one of the most multicultural wards in the whole of Europe, where over 90 nationalities exist and over 300 languages are spoken. <laughs> so you could say that I was actually molded, molded by diversity and inclusion from a young age. You could have remembered that. Yeah. All I did was go on Wikipedia. But you're going to remember that. Yeah, and who's willing powerful. to go that far to differentiate themselves so that they can sell their why? And there's a, there's a few great books, actually, that have influenced this way of thinking with me. Um, one is called The Long Tail by a guy called Chris Anderson, where he talks about the long tail of consumers that we now have access to thanks to the internet. And Mixtape Madness was born of that thesis, to be fair. Another one's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And it talks about how do you differentiate yourself, say, differentiate yourself and swim in a blue ocean rather than a shark infested waters which we call red oceans mm. okay and then the other one's an essay by a guy called um uh is it kevin kelly 
double K, I can't remember his name, um, but it's called, a, a, just Google it, A Thousand True Fans. Very old essay, but again, it's talking about just the tribes we serve, focus on quality, not quantity. It doesn't matter if it's 100 people, if it's 1,000 people, just focus on serving them and adding value, and that tribe will grow in value and they will appreciate you. You know, mm. and it's talking about like, if you had a thousand people and you sold, sold on average a hundred pounds of services to them a year, you make a hundred thousand. Like, and that thousand true fans kind of philosophy is what I've been building off. And how do you differentiate yourself? To be honest, it came from content originally. Like I was talking okay. about a subject matter with this intersection at startups, culture and investors that no one else was. You know, I'm in the UK talking about black culture, which is an American type conversation, but mm. I was having it over here and in technology and not many people were. Mm. So it differentiated me. I was telling stories about Nas, Jay-Z, Chimillionaire, um, Troy Carter, who used to manage Eve and, and, and Lady Gaga, and all these people that were black actually transitioning from music to investing. You know, some really great portfolios. And I was talking about founders like Tristan Walker at Bevel at Walker & Co, and all these other black founders out in the States. And they're black investors like Monique Woodward, like Marlon Nichols, like Arlen Hamilton. And I was telling those stories here, I knew it like the back of my hand. So I have that European voice for a lot of that American news. And that's how I started and I've just doubled down on that. Mm. That's it. No, that's powerful. And I just want to thank you for your time. Like, I, I definitely learned a lot. And uh, one of the things that kind of comes, comes, comes out is the power of sticking to one thing, but also relationships, so like always Absolutely. building relationships. And you said something about, you know, how you described where you came from, from Tottenham. And I'm sure many people um, have hasn't haven't done that before mm. in, in that sort of way. So I saw my ends as an advantage. Yeah, mostly it's not, as a disadvantage. Exactly. Oh, it had riots. No, that's part of the story. Mm. It's an advantage that I came from a place like that because now you're gonna understand what progress means. Mm. You know, but it's your vantage point, and you have to reframe it. And if there's one remark I want to just leave as well is that, <laughs> like, what people don't realize is that when you're born and you feel like you don't have privilege. You don't have access to opportunity mm. or to the networks. The one thing you can do with the power of the internet is gain leverage. And that can come through social capital. That comes from things like blogging. That comes from things like doing meetups. If I'm someone that has no background in an industry, you know, and I want to get into management consulting or to product management, mm. I can hold a, meet, a monthly meetup with product managers or aspiring product managers. I can do that. Why not? Anyone can do it. You go on meetup.com, you set up the meetup. You can do it. I can write content about it and about my journey trying to break into product management. I can even start a podcast and interview popular product managers and famous product managers and learn through doing those interviews by getting access to the network through doing that. You can do that. Harry Stebbins, young kid, was interviewing VCs, ended up getting an internship at Atomical through it, ended up setting up a VC himself. Content is the one thing the internet gives us the ability to create that gives us social capital. And that social capital is that leverage that now gives us privilege into places that we didn't previously have access to. We can all do that. You know, whether it's a blog, a podcast, a video, an online course, it's all just content. Mm. We can all do that. So, so, so powerful. Like, the bars. <laughs> the bars. <laughs> listen, listen, that was amazing. And like, I got fired up by that. and. I definitely well, learned so much and, and it's true the, the internet has made it a level playing field and you know that's why we've all got to be entrepreneurs somehow we've all got to be entrepreneurs somehow um, coming back to um even creating content like i love the fact that 
that everyone that you're interviewing, you have a relationship with. So it means you're able to extract a certain level of conversation with them. Whereas when I'm interviewing people at a cold face, like some of the founders I interviewed earlier on today for Founder Clinic podcast, there's only a certain level of depth we can go to because we don't have certain context. Mm. We don't have a certain level of relationship, you know? And one of the things I didn't touch on on the podcast, but like I was listening to a guy called Nines earlier on, he's got yeah. an album called One Foot Out. And he says like one of the tracks, like not everyone was born to be like a rapper or a baller or a trapper. Like there's other things that we can be doing. And I love that there's people like yourself coming up in this space, like Michael Hastings, who's like an inspiration to us all, who show you that there's all these alternative routes that you should be aware of. And there's people in these spaces, which means you can be too. Mm. And I hope like podcasts like this get out so that people realize that too. No, I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a journey and it's still going. Uh, and the key thing is, I don't know where it's going, mm. but I'm pursuing it <laughs> regardless. It's good, yeah, good. And I'm open to, to, to wherever it takes me. But I think the key thing is just to start. And if, if you start, it'll encourage other people to start. Uh, and if you make it, people will see it's real. People 100%. will see it's possible. 100%. And then it'll just broaden. You don't have to be stereotypical entertainer, footballer, or like doctor. Like, you don't have to. There's different ways to get to what really is your passion, what, what you were born to do. And it really is trial and error. Um, but you have to be willing to, to explore your mind and be willing to explore what's out there because the internet has made it a level playing field. And there's so much more opportunities now. We're in the age of opportunities, and like it's so exciting to just be here, to be alive, to be Everything to be where we are. Like in, in, in London, like the financial capital of the world, it's just yeah. So it's, it's a real it's, privilege as well. Mm, and you know what's exciting? In five years, people are going to get in contact with you based off this conversation still, or this podcast. It's not crazy. The long tail benefit of that, mm. and what people need to realize, especially young people growing up now, is that. The first page of Google is your new CV. Because yeah. we're all going to Google you. So yeah. what's coming up on your first page? Or put it in incognito mode of Google. <laughs> and go look at that first page. Yeah. And if that's not representative of you, or you don't dominate or own that narrative, then you need to think about putting content out there so that you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you just remind me of... Um, I realise that I'm not creating um, content that's relevant now. It's timeless content. Yeah, it's powerful. It's timeless. It's content that doesn't doesn't stop, doesn't end, doesn't just... Evergreen. Yeah, mm. and if you can create... So the thing is, I know not everybody's going to watch this, but I do know at some point, some more people will watch it later right. down the line because the content is about leadership, it's about fear, it's about emotions, about entrepreneurship. It's relevant. Yeah, so it can't not be relevant at any point yeah. in time. So therefore, if I get 50 views, if I get 100 views, that's fine now, but I know it's, it will always keep going up because yeah, the, the content is something that people can, can, can always come back to yeah. and can always find. Um, I was reading Napoleon Hill's Thinking Grow Rich for the third time the other day. Yeah. Evergreen. Yeah. How do you create things that stand the test of time? Yeah. And it's by focusing on timeless content and being really good at that and drilling down mm. on, on those topics that, that are, are, are difficult to grasp. Do you know what helps me as well, like spending time in the wilderness? or in mm. solitude mm. so that can come in the form of me swimming like i'll swim for an hour not even count and just think or if i literally go into what like backpacking or to a safari or to like in a, in a week's time we're going to central america for about 10 days but in the wilderness i turn off my phone i turn off technology and i just think and have conversations think and have conversations read think and have conversations mm. and it just renews my mind it allows me, allows me to focus 
to not be distracted, to not hear outside voices. And it reminds me that the one thing that I can do better than anyone else is be myself. That's what I was born to be. Real talk. So why am I letting them influence me? Trust it me. can't be me. It can't be you. It's mad. It's so mad. 100. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. That was wavy, bro. So wavy. I feel like we could talk for days, man. <laughs>